The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. And welcome into another episode of the Fieldhouse Files. This is a special mailbag edition, and we haven't really done one of these yet, but I think we'll really enjoy it. I hope you enjoy it. And so joining me here on the podcast, as always, is my co-host Dave DeFore. Dave, I hope you had great holidays. How'd things go for you? Uh, I was asleep at 11 p.m. on New Year's Eve. Oh, no. So I would say that's yeah? a success. Oh, okay. See, I, pulled, I, I had one of those later nights, uh, mm. the rare late nights. And I paid for it the next day, so not oh, ideal. Oh yeah, see now I, what I did. So I, I feel like this might be a pro move. I'm willing to give it out for free. Okay, okay bring it to me. So I went to sleep at 11, and, and it wasn't on purpose. I was just on the couch with the dog. You know, my <laughs> wife had already fallen asleep, and I was watching Netflix and uh, just fell asleep. Not not a big like New Year's Eve. I like to travel. It is so overrated, but that's a whole different story. Yeah, I like to travel. Like, if you get a chance, go to Scotland for New Year's Eve. They do this thing. It's called Hogmanay. It's a lot of fun, uh, but it's you're t- it's actually like a cultural experience when you do that as well. Amsterdam feels like a war zone on New Year's Eve. I don't necessarily recommend that, but if you do it, maybe wear earplugs. Um, <laughs> but uh, what we did was, you know, we went to bed and and then uh, got up the next day, met with, with some friends for brunch. And did some day drinking on New Year's Day with no crowds. Uh, the bartenders were happy to see us. And, and they're uh, probably it was a good time. Of the watched, cost. Uh, we watched uh, Premier League at my little soccer bar right down the road from my house. Excellent. No, that's reasonable. I just say how it's kind of done up, right? And it's really just another day. But it's, it is, it's an excuse for everyone with time off, usually, to go have a good time. But. Anyways, let's let's get right to it because I know we we both busy and have things to get to. Uh, it's been a busy week for the Pacers. Certainly, um, just completed a stretch of six games um, against five playoff teams. So I think this was really their first true te- stretch of the season, Dave, where we were able to make some conclusions, where we are able to evaluate the team some, and they went two and four. And then started off the new year with a loss against the Nuggets. Did not look sharp. But right now, I think it all comes down to health as they're still without Victor. Malcolm continues to miss time. And everything else has been affected as a result. You know, I, I think it's safe to say at this point, we, we can talk about this team like a good team. Not a great team, but we could talk about them like a good team mm-hmm. uh, when healthy. And, and even healthy without Victor Oladipo. You know, Brogdon's been banged up. I think he's going to miss like his 10th game of the season. Yeah, that's that's pretty significant. They're currently 22 and 13. That's pretty good. Um, I mean, having two all stars and not one of them being Victor Oladipo, that's a big deal for this team. And, and I think that um, our expectations need to adjust as well. You know, getting a big win against the, the 76ers. Great. You know, beating the Lakers right before Christmas. Fantastic. Um Having a tight game with the Nuggets, okay, that's that's fine. Nuggets are, are probably a little bit of a better team. Losing to the Pelicans stinks. 
It was more you know, how it was like done that. too, Dave. Like it was yeah. embarrassing after the second quarter. It was not even a game. Much it's like not the, the sort Pacers... of effort that you expect from yeah. a Nate McMillan team. I agreed. Yeah, and it was quite the opposite then against Philly, where after the first quarter, the 76ers checked out and Pacers dominated. So two very, very different games um, for for the opposing team. But uh, let's jump right into it, and of course, we'll start with health, Luke. On uh, and these questions mostly are coming from my live chat that I completed earlier this week. Luke wants to know what's the latest with Victor, and I can tell you, I saw him today. He was at practice. Um, Went four-on-four again, as I've said on most podcasts. It's not against elite competition. It's against the 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 end-of-the-bench guys. It's against a video coordinator. TJ Leaf's brother is usually part of that group. But the biggest thing is just to see him get back um, and continue to ramp up what he's able to do on the court. It's four-on-four half court. He'll get some more work in this weekend with the Mad Ants with practice as the team goes away for two games. And he'll also work with his individual trainer who's coming down from Michigan. Um, Still several weeks away. I thought it was notable, Dave, that last night on the Pacers pregame show, Chad Buchanan, the Pacers GM, noted how um, right now he's kind of good physically. It's just getting back to the basketball stuff, right? So the game rhythm, game shape, making your cuts. And and so I think that is an excellent excellent point in where he is at. And at the same time, notable – in that Nate McMillan said and confirmed really um, here in the last week how he has not had any setbacks. He hasn't been held back or held out during this process. And because of the severity of the injury and the uniqueness of the injury, I think those are all positive things here as we're about a two week, we're about two weeks out from the one year mark of this injury. Yeah. And and the important thing to remember here is that the Pacers are going to be extremely patient with him. Uh, this is a team that is fighting for playoff positioning. Like this is a playoff team. They're playing pretty well when, when everybody's out there, they're going to want him to come in and have the smoothest integration or reintegration back into the lineup as possible. So they're going to want him as close to hundred percent basketball ready as they can get him. And so I, I think that, you know, with all of that taken into account, uh, I, I don't expect to see him in the next couple of weeks. No, and, and I don't either. I think, as I've said all along, kind of that all-star break before or after is kind of what what I've had in my head as the ideal timing, assuming he's good. And he could play right now, but there's no point to it in my mind either. Again, because you got to have the big picture in mind with both where he's at uh, physically and knowing you want him to be part of your future with a long-term um, contract and everything, but I know we're all in, so we we all want to see him dunk or do those uh, fantastic athletic moves, and I think some of that stuff will take time, as will the ba- being in basketball shape, because you don't get that until you're actually playing full full court, five on five in a game. Yeah, at, at NBA speed, yes. which is just you know it's hard to replicate even in practice. Uh, a little follow up question that we got uh, from Samuel, and this is. Uh, as it relates to Malcolm Brogdon's injury, and if he's out longer than anticipated, do you see any way that the Pacers might bump that timetable up for Oladipo? I, I get what he's getting at. I don't think it'll happen, but but your you know your fingers on the pulse of that team much closer than mine is. Yeah, this won't take long. No, everything they're doing with Victor is independent from the team. Its needs. If they were rolling right now, if they were twenty-seven and six there wouldn't be the thought of let's push him back out there also 
because we want to make a, a push for a top seed. Or the other way, we can relax, let's bring it back in March, or not at all because they're having success. These are two very independent things, um, that, and, and I think that's a good way to operate with all of this. Yeah, uh, and then any thoughts on the rotation once, once Oladipo comes back? Do you think he'll start right away? I do. I say that because he, he's the face of this team, and he's he, when healthy, obviously, he's the best player on this group. And as a part of that, the second unit fires so well. I don't want to interrupt what they're doing as much as I don't want to interrupt what the starters are doing. So I think I think you get right to it. He's a starter. He's going to be a starter. We know that there's going to be growing pains regardless of where we put him in. Let's not disrupt the second unit. He goes to the starting lineup. Let's move Lamb back to where he's going to be. That's with the second unit and... We expect some growing pains. Let's get right to it. What do you think? Because I know this is a question I've gotten a lot, both on Twitter and on our live chats. Yeah, well, so my expectation is that he would start immediately because he's going to start in the playoffs, at least if, if everything goes well. Yep. And by the time he comes back, that's what you're doing. You're, you're starting to see teams are going to be setting their rotations for April and May. You know, they're not worried about, like, easing him back. You know, they're going to be able to lose some games if he struggles, you know, and, and, and he may. Uh, they're going to be able to, to absorb those because they're going to have wins stacked. And I think it's just more important to have that continuity and chemistry for that main unit, that starting unit and the closing unit by the time April rolls around. So, yeah, I think he'll start from day one. I do expect a, a limits uh, or a minute limit when he first comes back because that's just you know that's the mm -hmm. kind of course in the nba uh you know he'll probably you know I, I would expect somewhere 16 to 18 when he first comes back if he's in shape and, and with the goal of getting him you know off the minutes restriction by the time the playoffs start so uh starting him is a great way to do that also guys coming back from injury you want them to to be able to play when they're warm you know you don't want him to warm up pregame and then sit on the bench for you know 15 minutes Good and point. then come in the yeah. game so that's another thing to take into account with this I, I expect we'll see heavy minutes out of him you know maybe an eight minute six to eight minute rotation to start the game maybe he closes you know the second quarter starts after halftime and then closes the game I that's what I expect out of this and I also expect a lot of the exercise bike <laughs> when, he, when he's supposed to be on the bench you got to keep him moving to that end, I will say, though, at practice, I don't think I've ever seen him on a bike. Now, what you're saying makes mm. sense, yeah. but I can't remember seeing Now, he's doing a lot of stuff, a lot of things hours before we get there, probably during practice while we're not even watching, but that is noteworthy. I haven't seen him on a treadmill, a bike, any of that, while we, we have at least um, been out there. And, and to your point, I agree uh, to an extent. Um, I think his minutes probably will be a little higher, but the main thing that I'm expecting is – him maybe to, to sit out some back-to-backs. The good point is they only have 11 this year, and they're already done with six of them. So, oh, yeah, that's nice. The back to, Playing back-to-back -back nights, I think, it would not be as useful to him as reducing uh, minutes, so to speak, and all that because you want him to get that time to recover after such a, such a serious injury like that. But more than anything, the key thing in my mind here in this – is you want to get things back to normal. So get your rotations back, um, figure out your closing lineups, and that's been an issue for this team for several years now. And Brogdon has been a key guy in, in closing, but he hadn't been available, and so getting Victor back surely would help that. And the other thing in my mind here is the fact that Vic at 90% is probably better than much of your bench, right? 
Oh yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> for sure. So you'll take that as well. Um, I I will touch on on Brogdon because Samuel asked about him as well. It is getting almost to the level of concerning to me because it's nearing uh, a third of the games, uh, two of the games not included in that 10 total. You're talking about that he will not make the trip this weekend to Atlanta or Charlotte. You could really add two more to that list as well because he left the game in Houston and the last one against Denver late first quarter. So that drops his averages, and he didn't finish out those games. So the good news in all this, I will say, Dave, is the fact that it's not his foot injury. That was the big concern out of college and with Milwaukee. It's been back. It's been hamstring. Those two things are often connected. Yeah, I mean, and that's, again, the silver lining to that. But they're playing the long game. So, you know, hey, miss these games. Yeah. Like, this is the time to miss them. Uh, you, you want him ready April and May. And, again, this is what good teams do. And they're, they have enough production, I think, that they can absorb it and not drop too many games, especially against the bad teams. I think that they should still be able to win, uh, Pelicans game aside. <laughs> They've done a good uh, job about handling those teams under 500. It's just right. beating the, the playoff teams, the elite teams, which we have seen in the last 10 days, hasn't, hasn't gone well where they're 2-4. and four. Right, and they've got the heat. Uh, coming up next week so yep. uh, they definitely are going to want him ready for that game if he can go well we talk about physical fitness a lot but there's another side to the game that's just as important i'm talking about mental fitness calm the number one app for sleep and meditation they've teamed up with lebron james to help you train your mind so as you're setting your new year's resolutions if you're doing that or just trying to live a better healthier life one thing you should do and can do is focus on your mental fitness and you can do it With Calm. LeBron and Calm know that your mind is like any other muscle in your body. And Calm can help you train your brain so you sleep better, have less stress, and perform at your best. So for a limited time, our listeners can join LeBron in using Calm with a 40% off discount to an annual membership at calm.com forward slash fieldhouse. Unlock content to help you focus, ease stress, and sleep better. Get started at calm.com forward slash fieldhouse. That's calm.com forward slash fieldhouse. All right, another question, and I'm going to butcher this name. I think it's Ayush, something like that. He asks on our Q&A, Dave, what kind of moves do you think make sense for this team to pursue before the trade deadline? I mean, it's tricky. I'll say say nothing because it's Victor, yeah. Yeah, the big move is going to be getting Victor back, and – uh, I can understand keeping the powder dry until you see what this team looks like healthy, which may not be until April or May. And, and so I, I would expect this team to hold Pat at the deadline. Maybe they make a little move, you know, toward the end of the rotation. Um, but standing Pat at the deadline just makes a lot of sense. And then evaluating what they have during the summer. Maybe they're going to be making a move. You know, people bring up Miles Turner or Sabonis or something like that. Uh, Nothing like that would be happening during this season. I I don't see it. I have nothing to add. You're exactly right. Uh, I'll continue on here. Laura wants to know anything to read into Miles Turner switching agents recently. I can take this one if you'd like. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a pretty yeah, this is another easy one. So, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> uh so in this one, um he he was with uh uh it's actually his third time changing agents. If you remember out of college, he was with Andy Miller. Uh right. with Andy Miller Sports and such and they had all those issues as it related to the NCAA and guys going to jail and all that. So then he switched, uh went more of with a localized, more personal relationship. 
and from what I was told, his parents really pushed him to make this change to more of a known, uh, more of an established um, guy. And so he signed recently with Bill Duffy of BDA Sports, um, mm-hmm. a guy like Darren Collison, uh, formerly with the Pacers, um, is represented by Bill Duffy. And so I think this is twofold. Um, they want someone maybe with someone that's more established, someone that can push their agenda, can push what they're wanting, and that's for Miles to be involved, to be featured, to be the guy um, right? more than anything. And if that is not it with this team, then then he can also help push or help facilitate, uh, facilitate a deal elsewhere. Right. Having those experienced agents is very important, you know, for, for this type of thing. Um, this is more about endorsements and and media attention uh, being featured like like you just talked about. Uh, this is not, you know, he's not necessarily like a sign that he's going to demand a trade. You know, switching agents sometimes is about getting a better shoe deal, uh, you know, or a, or a Coca-Cola ad or something like that. It, it's. But not I, always a sign that a guy's unhappy with a team. No, but Dave, I should be it should be clear in my thoughts. What I do mean featured, I do mean with the Pacers within the offense. Oh yeah, no, with, absolutely. Okay, yeah, and so and I think it's just it's a whole ordeal here in terms of Domas with Miles and this other group with all these newcomers, and he's really become the fifth option offensively. But we should be giving him credit too. I will say over the last like two three weeks, he has ramped up. Um, his play, I think he's kind of ditched a, a negative attitude, negative vibes allowed for him um, to just flow within the offense and, and really has benefited from all that and has played really well. Yeah, his uh, three-point attempt rate is is increased as well, which is helping this team quite a bit. Because the challenge with this lineup is he's become a spacer when he's playing with that first unit, which means he's not by the basket, he's not posting up, he's just chilling on the arc and ready to fire. And, yeah, and he's, I think he's shooting better as well during this stretch, too, not just yeah, the volume. Yeah, I mean, volume. he's up to four and a half attempts per game, basically, which is exactly what we talked about when we previewed the season, that he needed to be north of four attempts. I would love to see him at six. I think that, that you know, that's a difference maker number for them is that if he can take six threes a game. Um, but still, I mean, he, he's he's doing the right things on the court. And, and as of right now, we haven't heard any – you know, I haven't heard any any trade demands or anything like that, so that's always a good thing. No, I think they're still... He's not pulling a Dwayne Dedman. <laughs> they're still trying to figure it out, and so to go back to that that point, I think we all, including the front office and Miles and such, need to see how this team looks at full strength with Brogdon, with Oladipo, and how this team looks um, before considering something like that, which could could be worthwhile in the offseason. We're just not there yet. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Uh, okay, here's a question from Tim. Um, he wants to know if the Pacers are doing enough to capitalize on their brand in Europe. Uh, uh, he's a lifelong Pacer fan because of Rick Schmitz, and uh, he wants to know if the Pacers are doing enough to capitalize on DeMontis Sabonis' uh, <laughs> popularity in Europe. I, I don't even know. Is he even that popular? He's in, in, Lith- in Lithuania. I know he is. Sure. Or is the MVP it's a small of country though? Correct. Right. Um, yeah. And the Sabonis name, of course. But outside of that, I, c- I can't imagine he is uh, having all kinds of popularity. Um, maybe if he gets, I mean, he, becomes he, an all star. Played at Gonzaga, you know. Like so, it's not like he, you know, was he's not Luka Doncic, let's say, or Goga he, Pataze. He didn't play at a huge <laughs> club in Europe, and yeah, I, I just thought it was interesting because Tim wrote in from the UK 
and obviously um, the NBA is become more featured with international guys I forget what the current number is but I think it last year it was about 25 percent of players on roster were international guys a big boom um in recent years which and, and it, the other thing with all this Dave is those guys are making marks too it's not just we're drafting stash or he's the end of the bench guy you're seeing right now the two leaders in the league probably among them at least Giannis and Luca. yeah I think I mean they've been two of the four best players in the league this year. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the two of them are top four in MVP voting if we're voting today. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's huge. But it, it's a good question. I actually think, like, you, you should probably talk to uh, talk to the Pacers about it. What see, I see, like, if they've got a strategy there. <laughs> what I do know is that's one reason why they love playing these overseas games as much as India was bad for them and their health, I think in the short term that's one of the big reasons herb simon the owner is adamant a bit about doing stuff like that is pushing the brand pushing their popularity it's fascinating last night in the media or in the pacers locker room there was a guy credentialed from china pacers a site that was created by pacer fans in china because of reggie miller they are fascinated with reggie or were and now they're lifelong pacer fans and so there's a lot to following through and all that and of course the pacers played in london i think uh, it was two years ago against the Nuggets and laid an egg. But that's one reason why they do all of that. All right, let's yeah. get to the next one here. Arnis asks, what are your general thoughts on Edmund Sumner? I'm really intrigued with him as a player. Uh, he has great length, quickness, burst, but he's still really raw. How do you see him shaping out? And I think the big thing here, of course, Dave, is starts with his health. health. He's not available. Health. What else can you think about him? Yeah, the the most valuable ability is availability. And uh, he's just been injured. I, like, I was really high on him coming out of college. And, again, health was an issue. I thought that if, if he could get healthy and, and have time to develop, he had kind of the raw skills of a guy who could be like an all-star level player. I talked to a lot of scouts uh, ahead of that draft who felt the same way about him. Loved that he went to the Pacers and thought if he was going to be healthy, you know, um, that's a great place for him to, to grow. Uh, he had that the knee injury in college. He's dealt with knee injuries since he's gotten out. Um, shoulder issue. He uh, had the hand problem. I mean, he just can't stay healthy. So I think that at this point, it's almost impossible to kind of evaluate where he's going to be if you don't know if he's ever going to be on the court consistently. It's really tough because you see these flashes, and again, you – you know, you look at the length and you look at the fact that, you know, he's a great leaper and, and he's fast. And there's all these things that you just you're like, wow, if if he could put that together mm-hmm. with some enhanced skill, that's a real basketball player. But you got to see him on the court. He essentially had a redshirt year his first year because he had knee surgery and shoulder surgeries before his rookie season. Um, where he mostly spent time rehabbing it with the Mad Ants. Um, then he showed some f- flashes, but it all comes back to our first question, I think, in all this, in the mailbag, and probably my number one question in 2020, is this team's health? Because when he's been out there, he has potential to be an outstanding defender, I think, because of his length and quickness, although he could uh, get beaten maybe when battling some of the more physical guys. And I think one thing, though, that has really helped him is he's been a key guy in helping – Victor with his rehab. He goes against him often, both in Fort Wayne and in Indy, and I think that could pay off if he could overcome these injuries. And right now, it's again, it's a sore knee. Um, after sitting out several, what was it, 
six to eight weeks, I think it was, with a fractured hand that he elected not to have surgery on. So it's it's been one thing after another, and I root like hell for the guy because it's an incredible story. But at some point, I just wonder if maybe his body's just telling him no. Yeah, and it, it, we're not used to this anymore. You know, th- this is the kind of thing where usually a guy can have surgery and rehab, and he's at least mostly fine. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I hate to – like the injury-prone thing is like such a – I don't know. It's a bad way to describe a player because clearly like there, there are guys that are injured more often and and he's just one of those guys. It's a real bummer because I mean, again, I I loved him coming out in the draft. And the other thing with that is most of the time I would say it's not on the player, right? It's not like they're not working hard enough or they're not rehabbing. It can be in some instances, certainly, but I don't think that's that's the case case here. here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's really just bad luck and, and, you know, some his guys fin- are just saddled with that. His finger just getting jammed in a jersey while defending. There's your fractured hand. Like, it's not like lifting a weight would prevent that. So, BCS season is in full swing, and we've got the championship game coming up on January 13th. And if that's not enough to get you excited, the playoff push is underway for the pros. You need even more? The DraftKings Sportsbook app can get you in on all the action and more 24-7, 365 days a year. With so much going on this week, they have great promotions running every day. From odds boosts to free bets, DraftKings has it all. Plus, DraftKings Sportsbook will give new users a free bet just for signing up. It's no wonder the DraftKings Sportsbook is America's top-rated sportsbook app. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use the code FAST. For a limited time, all new users can get a free bet when you sign up. Plus, when you make your first bet, you can get a risk-free bet up to $500. Don't forget, the sign-up code is FAST to place your first bet, and you can get your risk-free bet up to $500. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Indiana-only. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Um, I think it's my turn yeah. to ask you, John. Uh, no, 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 no. My turn to okay. ask you. All right. Because, I mean, again, you're right there, and, and this is a guy that – we had high hopes for when we previewed the season. Um, Why does that Aaron feel Holiday. like it was eight months ago, by the way? <laughs> well, this season is actually like uh, four years long. <laughs> um, but Aaron Holiday, all right, we said that that they really needed him to have, you know, uh, uh, to really help them off the bench. Um, Josh asks uh, how you'd evaluate his his growth in year two. Um and then he, he so he said something about it taking three or four years for one and done, but Aaron Holiday wasn't a one and done. So um, we expect, or at least I, I'll start with my expectations. I thought because he did, you know, play at UCLA for three years, that he was going to come <laughs> in more ready than the average, you know, backup point guard guy. I actually thought, wow, he might come in and, and be more like Jalen Brunson than than he was in his first year. Um, He's improved. I've watched him week over week improve this season. I thought I've been very impressed with how much better he is. What do you think about his growth uh, in year two? Yeah. So for me, first of all, starting at the beginning, I always think centers is the most difficult position um, to come into the league. I don't care if you're one and done or kind of established overseas. Just a faster game, quicker game, um, maybe the physicality sometimes. And that's where I do believe in the kind of takes 
two, three years to adapt. That's that's what Donnie Walsh, the longtime Pacers exec, believed and told me years ago, and I kind of have seen that go along um, this path, right, with Miles Turner and Roy Hibbert and perhaps with Goga Bataze now, but we'll see. I think the second hardest thing is point guard because especially when you're out on the floor, you're the general. You're setting everyone up. You're dictating what – you guys are doing how fast you're playing what coach mcmillan wants you to do um and the big challenge we've seen with an aaron this year is he's had to flip back and forth between between going from the shooting guard with that second unit which i think so far has been his best position to being thrusted into the starting lineup with malcolm being absent now he's benefited from that with additional playing time he's shooting better he's almost he started in almost half of his games this season 15 starts uh, to this point, but that that asks a lot more of him. It asks for him to defend often that that quick guy, um, and he has helped with that sometimes. When um, to even to go back to Edmund Sumner, he those two guys have been better uh, guarding that quicker point guard like a Kemba Walker than a Malcolm Brogdon. Um, but I, I really like the development, especially in the last two or three weeks from Aaron as he has settled in. I think playing more of this one versus the two. Because early on, he was playing a little quick. I think in training camp, he was looking over his shoulder with TJ McConnell. And it's turned out there's plenty of minutes right now for both of them. And in fact, they are better with both of them on the court together. I like Justin playing with Aaron as well. I really like that second unit when it's at full strength. And I'll be curious to see how they work with Jeremy Lamb when he settles back with that second unit. But I would say so far, I've been pleased with Aaron Holiday's development. He's shooting better than 42%, I think, from three-point range. And it's one of those situations where he's getting more time and making the most of it. And teammates appreciate it because he does not lack for confidence. It's just about him settling in. Could not have said that better myself. <laughs> Ryan here asks, uh, which player do you believe has exceeded expectations? And which player do you believe has fallen short of expectations? <laughs> well, everyone knows my answer to the exceeded expectations, and that's Demonis Sabonis. I mean, Thomas. Uh, I mean, that's my answer. I, I mean, he's just been a monster, and uh, I didn't know he had this in him. And um, yeah, that's like, an all star. I've been eating crow. Yeah, he's an all star. He's gonna get his bonus, uh, which I you know made a lot of fun of. Um, but yeah, I, I've I've just been incredibly impressed with him this season. He's been fantastic. He he's done every single thing that they needed him to do to stay afloat and then be good without Victor. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as below expectations, I mean it's tough because the guy's a rookie. But you know, I, I scouted uh, Gogo Batazde a lot. I actually thought he was ready to play in the NBA, um, and it, he's not. And, and you know, the the minutes are are kind of inconsistent and rightfully so. Like he he actually is just not. NBA ready he's shown some flashes um, but for the most part just not there and and so you know below my expectations but I think in general probably right in line with where he ought to be I just thought he was a little bit better if you would ask me about five seven games ago I think Malcolm Brogdon to me easily has exceeded all expectations the trouble is now his availability so I have a hard time awarding him this just yet when he's about to miss you know a dozen games now uh, thus far with back and back injury and hamstring and all of that. So I'll go to the bench, and I think it's the duo of Justin Holliday and TJ McConnell, two of the Pacers' latest signings in free agency. And those guys, what, are playing more than 45 minutes combined? Justin Holliday at 25. Um, He's been 
and had to be one of the team's best wing defenders um, when called upon. And I think those two, without that bench, I think you're looking at a team that's lost you know, something like 20 games because they have been needed uh, much throughout the season. And that duo has really impressed me. For um, falling below expectations, you're absolutely right. Goga has because we set them so high too. And it's been a combination of, um, I think, still trying to learn the NBA game. He had probably his worst stretch, Dave, last night against the Nuggets where he was a step slow, um, sliding over to blocks. He didn't know where to pass it. He didn't know where to move offensively. He just seemed like he was a step slow and continuing to second-guess himself. And some of that will come in time, but also... Uh, his minutes have been down. I thought he'd play about 18 to 20 per game. He's only playing about 10 and hasn't shown, I don't think, the des- or the uh, deserving to, to get more minutes at this point from what he has done. I think they've actually had more success going small with a guy like Doug McDermott or Justin Holiday at the four rather than throwing two bigs out there. So it's always funny to me going back to the fall and those training camp storylines. We thought the bigs would be an issue. It is, but that third big, hasn't been really much of a story at this point in the season. Again, the, the team, I think the team overall has exceeded expectations, at least for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just didn't, wasn't a believer uh, without Oladipo. And so um, I should have believed in Nate McMillan a little bit more. That and the, the I mean, strength I, I always say he's a good coach, but man, I, I just. I think that and the strength of the franchise, job. the fact that they've reached the playoffs 24 and 30 years, it's much like the Spurs always having success in the postseason. I, I stay with them until they prove otherwise. Same thing with LeBron for me. Like He's my MVP until someone else shows me otherwise. So now, now they're really giving me other thoughts, I will say, right now. But I'm, I'm still staying with it. Um, last thing I wanted to address, Dave, with you is just something that comes down to effort and hustle in my mind, and that's rebounding. Because they have been atrocious here in this last month. For November, the Pacers were third in defensive rebounding percentage. Since December 1st, they are dead last, 30th. They're giving up all kinds of um, rebounds inside the arc. They're the worst team outside the arc. It has become concerning to me. And how much, take it from a coaching perspective, isn't this all come down to, to the effort, to not giving up on plays, to not watching. There have been some plays where guys have gone out of the picture and not raced to get back in. They've just watched shots go up, and that's how they lost a game a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, and, and this is a, it's a wing issue, I think. like This is where you know defensively they, they really need a gang effort. It can't just all be Sabonis and, and hoping Turner you know can get there. like In a, in a five-out NBA, which is what we've got, you got to have five rebounders on the defensive end. And, and I think that, you know, hopefully in the new year, Nate McMillan kind of reinstills whatever it was they were doing in November, because again, they were fantastic. And then just the complete drop off a cliff for, for December. So, you know, if they could shore that up, they, they probably win one or two more games. Yeah. That's the, that's the difference. You know, when your team is actually rebounding, I means a defensive rebound is, is one of the, two ways that you can, or three ways, I guess, that you can end a possession for the offense. It's a bucket, a turnover, or a rebound. That's it. So getting those rebounds is important. Um, you know, you don't want to be giving up second and third opportunities like they did quite a bit in, in December. Nate had the great line, and we'll leave you to this. Uh, he said, yeah, I've been preaching this for the last two years. So it's not something new that's come up. It's just something that they've dropped dramatically. 
Well, thank you, Dave, for joining me on this podcast, our first mailbag episode. I know you need to get out of here. And thank you to our listeners for submitting questions and for listening in. If you haven't joined The Athletic, where you can listen to our podcasts ad-free and read the work from more than 400 writers, do so now with our special. Get 40% off the annual price at theathletic.com forward slash fieldhousefiles. This has been another episode of The Fieldhouse Files, and we'll talk to you again next week.